I had days where I'd be basically just curled up in a ball in pain on the floor and, you know, not knowing what to do or how to make it better. Um, I, you know, I was, I was in my 20s. I was just like supposed to be the time where you're, you know, stepping into your career and, 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 and you know, uh, finding a partner and all that stuff. And I was just wrecked. Today's episode features a friend of mine, Chris Kresser, who's a leading voice in functional medicine and uh, nutrition as a source of vitality and fuel and reclaiming health and energy and, uh, and really exploring lifestyle um, as a powerful solution to um, much of what ails us, um, which is kind of ironic in that we actually recorded this conversation in his house in the Berkeley Hills in Northern California. And um, at the time of recording it, I was actually, um, I could barely hear out of one ear. I had just flown in, had major ear and throat problems, actually. And uh, then we lost the microphone on my mic. And um, so you'll notice when you listen, uh, when you hear his voice sounds great, but my, my voice actually had to be pulled from his mic and sounds a little bit distorted. So I apologize for that. Um, we would uh, actually have re-recorded all my sections and edited them in, but... <coughs> As you can hear, I'm still kind of struggling with this, and I wanted to uh, not wait and get um, and get this conversation out to you. It's wide-ranging. It tracks Chris's extraordinary personal journey, a 10-year journey from extremely um, bad health to exceptional health, and how he became a provider and a leading voice in the field, how he built an extraordinary and packed business. In fact, he has... Um, pretty much closed his practice to new patients for the better part of three years now. And then we really explore some of the big emerging um, provocative issues in medicine these days and uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and um, turning it over to Chris now. I'm Jonathan Fields. This is Good Life Project. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Ertube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important 
So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. In high school, I was interested in health, but mainly as an athlete, you know, how nutrition could improve my performance, and that was about it. Um, And then after I graduated from UC Berkeley, I took off to see the world, and I'm a lifelong surfer, so I decided to bring my surfboards and do a kind of, yeah, around the world surf trip. And Indonesia is a big mecca for that, so that was one of the first stops on the tour. And I was li- living on a little island called Sumbawa, um, staying in a little village where there's a, a pretty well-known surf spot. And I got extremely sick, you know, the classic tropical illness that you hear about, vomiting, diarrhea, delirium, fever. Uh, there's like a three or four day chunk of time where I don't really remember anything, just, you know, complete blackout. And uh, fortunately, there was an Australian guy that was also there in the village that had some antibiotics um, that he gave to me uh, and kind of brought me back from the brink. And I continued to travel for several months after that. And then, you know, although I had recovered from the initial issue, it, it became clear that my health was continuing to decline. So, uh, you know, after about a year on the road, I decided to come back and um, try to figure out what was going on. And I, I, you know, just first went to my local doctor and he didn't have a clue what was going on, but he thought it could be a parasite. So he gave me some antibiotics and I took them and felt a little bit better for a while and then worse. And this started like this crazy journey where I I saw probably 30 different doctors all around the country. I even flew to a couple different countries to see specialists in tropical infectious disease. Uh, You know, I I took all kinds of different prescription medications. I took uh, thousands of dollars worth of supplements. Uh, I have a a cupboard that I call my supplement graveyard, which is just, you know, (laughs) full of pills that I took that didn't work. Um, I saw... Uh, as I said, all kinds of specialists in conventional medicine, but I also, you know, when that wasn't helping, I went to the other end of the spectrum and I saw everything from, you know, specialists in Chinese medicine to uh, naturopathy to homeopathy to shamans, (laughs) energy healers. I mean, I I basically did everything I possibly could to try to recover my health. And and this this really kind of extended over about a 10-year period. And uh, it was pretty rough, you know, to be honest. I, there were times where I didn't know if I was going to make it. I was um, not able to work for a several year period during that time. Uh, I had days where I'd be basically just curled up in a ball in pain on the floor and, you know, not knowing what to do or how to make it better. Um, I, you know, I was, I was in my 20s. I was it's like supposed to be the time where you're, you know, stepping into your career and, 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 and you know, uh, finding a partner and all that stuff. And I was just wrecked. And it was pretty scary and pretty terrifying at that point, um, not really knowing if I had a future or what that future was going to look like, if I would even be able to support myself at all. 
and just incredibly frustrating to not be able to find help, you know, and it definitely was not for lack of trying. Um, so at some point along the way, uh, I was introduced to this concept of a nutrient dense diet. And initially it was more along the lines of Weston A. Price, uh, which is a you know, philosophy on nutrition. I hadn't heard about paleo. I didn't know anything about it. And I started eating that way. And I, and, and then I like did my own tweaking. I found out that grains and legumes didn't really work for me, no matter how they were prepared. And, and I ended up on a sort of paleo diet without even really knowing it, uh, my own modified version of it. And, and that's, when I really started to turn the corner, like things really started to improve for me. Um, it certainly wasn't the only thing that brought me back to health. There were a lot of different things that I did to recover, but it was a big step in the process. And eventually I got back to the point where I felt like I could re-enter uh, the world, so to speak. And um, I studied, decided to go back to school and, and, and formalize some of the learning that I had done in that 10-year process to recover my own health. Because what was happening is people were asking me, you know, questions like, well, how did you figure it out? What are you doing? Like, how can I, you know, can you help me? And, and so I thought, you know, I don't believe that everything happens for a reason, but I do believe that we have the opportunity to learn from whatever does happen and turn it into a, a positive life affirming experience or not. <laughs> so I looked back on my experience that I'd had and I thought, how can I use this um, in a way that will, will not only further my own healing and growth as a person, but also support other people in that process. So uh, I considered medical school. I actually even got as far as enrolling in a post-bac pre-med mm. program. But then I went around and interviewed. Uh, I thought, maybe I should just talk to doctors before I decide to take this leap, because it's a big leap, right? So I interviewed 10 different doctors and, and asked them how they liked their job. And, and uh, 10 out of 10 said that they wouldn't become a doctor again if, if they had the choice. And maybe that was just the, the sample size, the doctors I spoke with, but... Uh, what I realized, not just through that, but through thinking about it more, was that I could probably have a bigger impact and, and like practice in the way that I wanted to if I studied a, a non-conventional form of medicine. So I went back to school to study Chinese and integrative medicine uh, here in, in Berkeley and uh, got my degree. And during school, I started a blog called The Healthy Skeptic, um, just to keep track of my own research, really. It, I, I didn't have any concept um, that anybody else would read it. It was quite a shock when I saw the first what comment. Was this? this was probably uh, six, or, seven or eight years ago, I guess. Um, and yeah, there, somebody left a comment. I, I was like, oh, <laughs> how did you find this? And one thing led to another. And by the time I graduated from school, I had a, a fair, fair, fairly big number of readers and Open my practice, and because of that exposure, it filled up pretty quickly. And um, one thing led to another, and here I am. So your so your original, I guess your, you know, you got the informal training, which is ten years of experimentation yeah. on yourself and trying to figure out the intersection between you know, traditional medicine, Chinese medicine, functional medicine, nutrition, and where this all fits together, and then the formal training in Chinese medicine. What, it's interesting that when I think of you, um, and when I, you know, when I read you now and I read you regularly, um, you have this really 
interesting lens, which I think is part of what makes you appeal to so many people, which is um, everything is informed by an astonishing depth of science. Uh, not just Chinese medicine based mm-hmm. science, mm-hmm. but you know, like everything is like let let me see what the science is telling us. Mm-hmm. Is there published peer reviewed research that backs up any of these claims? So mm-hmm. you you clearly have something which is driving you really to go much deeper into that side. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I think I really am a researcher at heart. I mean, that's something that really um, interests me, and and I I thrive on, and I really enjoy the the experience of investigating something deeply and especially finding something new or making new connections that haven't been made or or challenging common myths which is really how I got my start uh, the, the blog name the healthy skeptic is really all about that um, and as I said my first instinct was to study conventional medicine I mean I I, I love science and you know I listen to Science Friday. I read science books all the time. I'm just a science nerd. I totally love it. Um, and so in a way, it's a surprise that I ended up studying Chinese medicine because there are a lot of aspects of Chinese medicine that are non-scientific. I'm doing air quotes here, um, at least according to the way that we understand science now in the, in the West. Um, but I think what what drew me to Chinese medicine was the holistic view of the body and and the um, their understanding, which I think still surpasses our own, that the body is more than just the sum of its parts. And that provided that still informs all of the research that I do. In fact, I just recorded a podcast with Rob Wolf this morning, and we were talking about, you know, there's all these studies recently that suggest this new, this sugar called new 5GC in red meat is, is causes inflammation is going to give you cancer. And, you know, in the West, we have the tendency to, to break things down in a really reductionist way and look at single compounds and molecules and how they affect things. The Chinese would say that's ridiculous. You know, you don't eat single reduced compounds, you eat whole foods. And so we need to look at the, the effects of the food. So I think that's that perspective is what I appreciate about Chinese medicine, but you're right. I, I'm passionate about um, the research, and I, you know, in California, when you study Chinese medicine, you actually have to do two years of, of you know, medical school education, basically. So anatomy, physiology, pharmacology, uh, internal medicine, research methodology, which was one of my favorite classes, um, because we're considered to be primary care providers in the workers' comp system here, and we have to know how to understand that whole side of things. So um, I did get formal education in those subjects as well. Yeah, it's yeah. when you look at just the lens that you bring to everything, um, it's really, uh, it's, it's broad, but I think also the thing that's really powerful about um, your work is that it's, it's real world, you know, and, and I think one of the big frustrations for a lot of people these days is, you know, once you sort of reach a certain point in life, almost everybody's living with some level of chronic pain, chronic mm-hmm. inflammation, chronic something. Yeah. And it's, it's like that, you know, chronic descriptor that, you know, followed by symptomology that, it seems increasingly like traditional medicine is having trouble figuring out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I guess functional medicine and, and nutrition are becoming this really huge thing. But, but bundled with that, I think we're seeing also the rise of a lot of big claims 
yeah. you know, and a lot of almost hysteria and elevated. This is the solution. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think what's so appealing, at least to me, about your lens is that it's kind of like it's you're not telling people here's the one system that's going to fix everybody. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing. I learned that in a very, you know, firsthand way through my own experience. Um, I got very excited about those proclamations, you know, when I encountered them. Oh, it's a low-carb diet. That's the solution. That's what's going to fix me. And then I, you know, earnestly start the low-carb diet and find out that it's a terrible idea for me. Or you know, it's the macrobiotic diet. If, if I just, you know, remove animal products from my diet and, and eat this balanced macrobiotic way, that's going to do it did that, it wrecked me, you know. I did a vegan diet, I did a raw diet, I did all of those extreme kind of dogmatic interpretations and they all failed me. And what I learned uh, painfully and painstakingly is that uh, you really have to learn to listen to your own body and, and, and learn to give it what it needs in each moment. And, and so I've often said there's no one-size-fits-all approach to diet, and by that I mean we all have different genetics, different genes, different gene expression, different lifestyles, different goals, different health status, and all of those influence what make an optimal diet for each of us. But even for, for me or for you, what's optimal isn't going to stay the same for our entire life. You know, what was perfect for you at 25 might not be perfect for you at 50. And so what I really want to teach people is how to uh, develop a, a, an ability to adapt, essentially, because that's what we're talking about. You know, we're talking about our ability to adapt to our circumstances and, our, and, our, and thrive as our circumstances change and evolve. And you can't do that with like a really rigid, dogmatic idea. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight-up joy. 
When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good Life Project is sponsored by NetSuite. So I remember when our businesses were just starting to really scale. It was amazing and also added complexity and stress. And the things that I used to do in hours were taking days, too many spreadsheets, too many systems, no single source of truth. That sounds familiar. You should know these numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. 37,000 businesses have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And 1. Because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in in one place. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash goodlife. That's netsuite.com slash goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash goodlife. Yeah. Okay. So let's throw this out there then. Mm-hmm. You're, I look at you as the guy who's about individualization. Yeah. Um, and you know, when I, when I, I first read your book, um, the, uh, personal paleo code, yeah. uh, it was to me, it, it was really powerful because it basically said that it said, you know, here's a framework within which you can run your own experiments mm-hmm. to see what's most intelligent. Here's some big ideas that, you know, and some common, you know, like for an X percent of the population, this is probably an intelligent thing in here, but customize it. Um, but at the same time, and we've talked about this, you know, like personally a little bit, yeah. the name of the book yeah. has, has the word, this big, bold proclamation, like paleo in it right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And paleo is this hot thing, you know, in the market right now. And there's some really people when you know who say this is the way to do paleo like it, boom this is the paleo diet this is the approach this is the paleo approach yeah. to living talk not, to me about this. yeah <laughs> not me right yeah um i don't know if i made the right decision with that frankly um when i look back at it i i uh, there was a big discussion before we named the book um we waffled back and forth um it was never it was never 100 certain that the word paleo would be in the title um I think what paleo is for me is is a convenient label, and um, you know I could say ancestral nutrient based, nutrient dense, you know low toxin real foods diet, and about point zero zero one percent of the population will have any clue what I'm talking about when I say that. I say paleo. Still, a low percentage of the population really understands what that means, but at least um, it's some kind of doorway or entry point or, or, or way that it can easily kind of reach out and connect with people who have that understanding. 
Uh, and ultimately, I think that's why I chose to use that word in the title. Um, the downside of that is, as, as you pointed out, there is, a, there is a, a subsection, which I think is getting smaller in the paleo world, that is very dogmatic about what paleo is and should be. Um, and believe me, I'm well aware of that because they always you know, <laughs> criticize me when I say, hey, the research suggests that legumes actually may not be as bad as a lot of paleo advocates have been letting on. And, and in fact, there might be some good reasons to eat them as long as you follow these guidelines for how to prepare. You know, um, I hear about it, believe me, from, from the paleo uh, advocates. And, you know, I've been, um, yeah, I'm not, Chris Kresser's not paleo. Yeah, you know, I'm not in that strict sense of the word. Um, and the other downside is that people have some baggage now around that term. I think uh, instead of opening doors, it actually closes them. So uh, if you mention paleo to one person, that's an instant kind of connection and an opening. If you mention it to another person, that's like an instant shutdown and disconnect. Um, so if I had to go back and do it over again at this point, uh, I'm, I'm still not sure what I would do, but I would uh, certainly... Uh, strongly entertain not using that word in the title. All right, so let me let me push this one step further. Sure. Uh, just because, I mean, also, it's interesting to me because we're both authors, and one of mm -hmm. the things that we always struggle with is how to title a book. Yeah. You know, on the one hand, you want it to, you want it to succeed because if you know that what's inside of it is really going to make a difference for people, you want it to have the, the greatest audience possible. Sure. And on the other hand, you're thinking, okay, but it needs to be, coherent with my brand and with mm -hmm. what I believe. Um, so the, the paperback is, is just out now. Yeah. Um, and, the, and interestingly, which doesn't happen all that often, you shifted the name a bit. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about what's behind that change. So the, the new title is The Paleo Cure. Um, we went through the same kind of process that we went through when we were talking about the, the hardcover. Um, I think the reason we decided to rebrand it in general is that the original title was... was um, a little bit too abstract for people. Um, what we try to do with the original title is use the word paleo, but still convey the person, you know, my emphasis on personalization. So it's called your meaning for you, not for anybody else, but for you, personal, personalized to your needs, paleo, that's obvious. And then code was meant to apply that it's not just about diet, it's also about sleep, stress management, paleo lifestyle stuff. Um, that's a lot of words. It's a lot of kind of interpretations, and I don't think people necessarily got that. And I also don't think that they really got what the benefit of that is supposed to be. And with the book title, um, you know, the, the title of the book is basically a, a marketing decision for the most part because it's, it's, it's what's going to attract people to pick it up and open it in the first place. And then, you, you know, the inside of what's in the book determines how, whether the it's going to be helpful to them. Um, so as a, as a clinician and someone who works with people every day, I see miraculous changes um, with paleo diet and lifestyle and some of the functional medicine stuff that, that we do. And the cure word is a, is a provocative word. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, um, we, there's a whole nother discussion we could have about that, but I do see people, um, completely reversing conditions that they were told would not be, uh, you know, 
able to be reversed and they'd have to be on medications for the rest of their life. And so I wanted this newer title to convey the power of a paleo approach or a paleo-based approach. And the decision was that we would, that's the hook, you know, to get people interested. And then once they read the book, it will be clear that I'm not advocating a one-size-fits-all dogmatic approach. So was it the right decision? I don't know, but it's the one yeah, we made. It's always so interesting. You look at some of the biggest books that have probably like the four-hour work week. Right. And, and, and you know the title had a huge amount to do with it. But yeah. fundamentally, like, I'd love to believe that, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to succeed if what's in it is not really mattering. Yeah. yeah. So that's what it comes down to. But um but I want to move beyond that because um since I have you here and you are just this you're like not only a font of information and because you are a clinician too and you spend time mm-hmm. working with clients and patients, um, and at the same time you're this immense research geek. Mm-hmm. Um what is what's really exciting you right now in the world of wellness, health, lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Um, what's like lighting you up and, and seeming like these are really fascinating paths to explore? I think personalized medicine is really what's exciting me the most. And um, it's interesting because, you know, my book was all about personalized nutrition, but I think we're now just starting to enter the area of a fully personalized um, treatment model where. Uh, in addition to getting dietary recommendations that are personalized based on your unique needs, you will also get uh, you know, medication or supplement recommendations based on your genes, your gene expression, uh, and several other factors that, that are unique for each of us. And you know, I think we have a long way to go there, but I think within our lifetimes, definitely within the next 10 to 20 years, we're going to see huge strides in that. So I think we're going to move away from this paradigm of, you know, there's there's one approach for each condition, there's one diet for that will work for everybody. And, you know, in 10 years it's not going to be a foreign concept at all that um the diet your doctor might recommend and the treatment approach your doctor might recommend even if you have the exact same health condition might be different than you know, someone else with that same condition based on uh, your genes and background and, and, and several other factors. So um, on the flip side, I think things have gotten a little bit out of hand with some of the genetic testing and, and the way that people are using that and, try, and, and trying to, you know, like make supplement recommendations or, or um, specific recommendations simply based on their genetic profile without looking at any other information. Talk, talk to me more about this, because one of the things that's happened in the last couple of years, really, is just that, you know, when we first heard about gene sequencing, you yeah. know, supercomputers and yeah. zillions of dollars to do one person. And right. now, you know, with like 23 million, yeah. mm-hmm. even though there's legal wranglings around yeah. privacy issues, yeah. the cost is rounding down yeah. pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. So... Take me a little bit deeper into this. Yeah, so here, here's what concerns me about that. So for, yeah, for 99 bucks, you can get access to the raw genetic, you still can get access to the raw genetic code. What 23andMe isn't doing anymore is giving you health interpretation of that data, but there are other ways that you can get that. So um, there are these services now where they will, um, you know, for a fee, 
plug in your raw genetic data from 23andMe and give you, you know, spit back some of your um, genetics that affect certain aspects of your health and then make supplement or nutrition recommendations based on those genetic mutations alone. And they're not asking you any questions about your health status or anything else. It's just purely based on genes. Problem with that approach is that, um, you know, there's a saying, the genes load the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. And what that suggests is that when you have a, a mutation of a gene, you know, it changes the shape of the enzyme that that gene makes. And then that enzyme is likely less able to function optimally. But it doesn't necessarily imply that that's going to be completely broken or um, that you're even going to have any dysfunction at all. There are a lot of genetic mutations that are very common that don't seem to affect anybody in terms of how well they do. And, and I think most people who are working in this field would agree that in, 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 the, in the majority of cases, environment, so diet, sleep, stress management, all that stuff has a far greater impact on, on how you actually feel on a daily basis than, than the genes. Um, so I'm, I'm nervous about this trend that I see and, and I see it like my patients, you know, new patients come to me, they have these long reports, they're taking like 40 different supplements based on, you know, the output of these reports alone. And I think that's dangerous, frankly. Um, on the other hand, I use that data in my treatment. So I, I will ask patients to get their genetic profile done. And there are certain aspects of health where I think we know enough to use some of that data in a smart way. Um, but it always has to be considered in the context of everything else, the, the patient's diet, their digestive function, their sleep, you know, everything else goes into my decision of what I'm going to do about that mutation. It cannot be done just by a computer generated report. So I think with any other new technology, you know, it's, it's introduced, we all get really excited about it and we abuse it in ways that it shouldn't be abused and, and eventually we'll get there. But uh, we're kind of on the, in the wild west frontier of that, I think. Yeah, and, and also, um, and, and there's the concept also of, you know, epigenetics and whether even if you have, you know, if you can identify, you know, your, your genetics, um, is it expressed or not? You yeah. know, is it turned on or is it turned off? So it's like you can look at it. And like you said, you know, like in terms of, you know, like loading the gun, um, you know, environment, behavior, nutrition dramatically alter the expression. Um, yeah. And here's how we know that our, you know, our genes have not changed very much in the past 150 or 200 years. Um, but the incidence of all kinds of chronic inflammatory diseases has gone through the roof. So we know without equivocation that that's not genetic in origin. It's epigenetic. It's the way that the changes in our modern diet and lifestyle have activated or silenced that same genetic template that, 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 you know, our grandparents and great grandparents had. And, um, that's, that's fairly obvious, you know, when you put it that way and think about that, but unfortunately it gets lost in this discussion usually. Yeah. Um, so integrating or personalized medicine, you know, the, the term that you use, especially bringing genetics and I guess over time really understanding how to, how to rely on them and how to integrate them into a broader, Prescription protocol is one thing that's exciting. What yeah. else is, when you look at the horizon of what's going on in medicine, whether it's nutrition or anything else, what else is jazzing right now? 
Yeah, I, I think it's it's um, the ascendance maybe of functional medicine and and an ancestral perspective merged together. I think you know when I think about what's the the most effective uh, approach to take, it's it's those two things, and I'll, I'll explain you know what I mean for listeners who aren't familiar with those terms. Uh, functional medicine, the way it's different than conventional medicine, is. Um, and these are generalizations, there are exceptions, but conventional medicine is usually, is basically focused on disease management and, and symptom suppression. So if you go to the doctor and you have high blood pressure, you'll generally get a pill that will lower your blood pressure. If you go to the doctor and you have high cholesterol, you get a pill that lowers your cholesterol. And there's rarely any investigation into why your blood pressure or cholesterol were high in the first place. You go to a functional medicine uh, specialist, if you have high cholesterol and high blood pressure, the first thing they're gonna ask is why do you have those conditions? And it turns out there are lots of different reasons why you could have those. You could, um, you know, uh, for high cholesterol, there are things like poor thyroid function, um, intestinal permeability or leaky gut. Uh, they can lead to high cholesterol. And uh, for example, I've been able to bring people's cholesterol down into a normal range just by addressing their gut health without doing anything else without any medication, any, and, and even really any, you know, cholesterol lowering diet recommendations. Um, so to use an analogy, if, if you have like a pebble in your shoe and your foot hurts, you could take Advil and it, it will probably feel better. And that's the typical conventional approach, or you can take the pebble out of the shoe and that's the functional medicine approach. So functional medicine is great, but the ancestral perspective makes it even more powerful. And what that means is that, uh, as we've been discussing, you know, all organisms are adapted to survive and thrive in a particular environment. And when that environment changes faster than the or organism can adapt, there's a mismatch that occurs. And that's a basic concept of evolutionary biology. Um, and we're not, you know, we're not special. <laughs> we don't get to escape that fundamental rule. And when you look at what's happened with humans, we've had this just explosion of human culture and evolution, and things have gone so fast, and they just continue to go faster. And our our genes are not, you know, have not kept up with that. Basically, we haven't learned to extract nutrients from big gulps and Twinkies and cheese doodles, probably because there aren't any nutrients in those foods. And so we never will learn to extract those, but we haven't learned to turn what is in, in those foods into fuel that we can actually use in our bodies. So um, when you look at things through an ancestral lens, what that just means is it's a recognition that there, uh, that there is a certain diet and lifestyle that we're kind of hardwired for. And then we stray too far from that that's when we get into trouble. And, and so combining that perspective and lens with functional medicine leads to just incredible results in the clinic. And what's exciting to me now is that's being recognized even in a, you know, in a, in a, in a conventional setting. So Mark Hyman, um, colleague and friend of both of ours, has just um, agreed to start the Center for Functional Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic, which is, of course, one of the most prestigious um, medical institutions in the world. And with that level of exposure uh, and, and, and um, money behind it to support research, they're going to be doing studies on functional medicine, developing treatment protocols, etc. 
that's when it really has the potential to be a, a paradigm shift because right now, unfortunately, functional medicine is really only available to, um, you know, upper middle class, middle class, upper middle class and wealthy people um, because it's all out of pocket and it's really not going to be able to penetrate and, and, you know, affect the vast majority of the population until it becomes part of the managed care system. And that really hasn't been the battle that I've been fighting personally, but it's one that I want to, you know, become more involved in and, and I, that I really applaud um, Mark and, and his efforts. And I, I think that, again, within our lifetimes, we're going to see that happening because what insurance companies are going to realize, you know, they're profit motivated, but that's fine because what they'll find out is if a patient comes in with, you know, pre-diabetes and they follow a paleo type of diet and lifestyle with some smart supplementation, they're going to go from being pre-diabetic to not being pre-diabetic. And the insurance company is going to save thousands and thousands of dollars over even hundreds of thousands of dollars over the lifetime of that patient. And, you know, that's, that's a win-win. It's, they're happy with that. Uh, our healthcare system will be able to take a step back from the course of destruction that it's on now. And it's certainly a better model for patients. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's interesting, too, because you brought up cholesterol, um, which is an interesting sort of um, touch point mm-hmm. right now. And a lot mm-hmm. of, I know you recently wrote about cholesterol also, and there's a lot of mythology around it. And very recently, um, there was sort of like a new set of strong guidelines issued for physicians practicing traditionally yeah. about when they're essentially required, from the way I understand it, yeah. to prescribe statins yeah. Yeah. to lower cholesterol. Talk, talk, talk to me about this whole... Okay, so this is the flip side of my excitement. <laughs> you know, like there seems to be like this bifurcation that's happening where like on the one hand, there's a, a tremendous increase in awareness about all functional medicine and 
and and and and we see more and more you know there are plenty of studies in the literature now that have conclusively shown that dietary cholesterol is not a big issue cholesterol levels in the blood are are you know not necessarily the primary risk factor for heart disease that it, when statins are effective which is a lot less often than people realize they are probably not effective because they lower cholesterol they're effective uh, because of their what are called pleiotropic effects and uh, you know non-cholesterol lowering effects like reducing inflammation um, and yet on the other hand you see almost like a deeper entrenchment into the old paradigm it's 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 like a polarization where you know like both sides are just kind of digging in and uh, it, it's hard to explain, to be honest, because um, when you look at the scientific literature over the past 10 years, the only conclusion that you can come to is that the evidence linking cholesterol to heart disease and saturated fat and cholesterol in the diet to increase blood cholesterol levels is weak at best and getting weaker you know, with each new study that's published. Um, but unfortunately, there seems to be, and this has always been the case as far as I can tell, about a 10 or 20 year gap between what you see in the scientific literature and public policy. So it's like the public policy now is being modeled on research that's decades old. And maybe in another 10 or 20 years, the public policy will start to reflect the research that we have available to us now. Yeah, <clears throat> which is... Um... Somewhat horrified. Yeah, it is. It is because, you know, there's been a lot of really good work done and a lot of uh, reason to doubt these kinds of guidelines. But the, the truth of the matter is um, most people, you know, I have a, a large blog audience, but it's not, you know, 350 million <laughs> with, or 400 million. It's not, there are a lot of people that aren't, don't have the time or inclination to read this stuff. And the only kind of education that they're going to get about what's good for them uh, is coming from their doctor or, you know, mainstream publications. Yeah. And um, I guess one of, the, one of the good news is, though, is that you, there are now voices like you um, out there in the world gaming. Um, and so people, whereas... Now there's sort of like direct access to um, yeah. all sorts of information about, you know, okay, I can hear my symptoms, you know, like what drug should I be taking? You know, simultaneously somebody can go online and say, you know, like what, what are the alternative approaches that I can explore and come up with names like you and other leading names in functional mm -hmm. medicine and sexual health and things like that. Um, so you don't have to rely as much on that one trusted voice who may have been your family physician for decades. Yeah to be sort of like, you know, the sole voice of reason. Um, you know, one of the things that I find interesting too, and I'm sure you've had these conversations with, um, I've talked to a lot of physicians who've been practicing for decades, right? Mm -hmm. now, traditionally trained and traditionally practicing yeah. now, yeah. who are becoming um, really frustrated yeah. with the practice and feel bound to practice in a way that they don't want to practice anymore. And they're actually leaving yeah. The profession, not because they don't want to practice anymore, but because they're having trouble practicing in the way that sort of like the guidelines for professional practice are binding them to yeah. practice. I'm, I'm curious whether, yeah, is that just an outlier of conversations that I'm no. having or, or is this a bigger phenomenon? That's a huge problem. Um, I have a lot of 
uh, we did a survey a while back and found that 25% of my audience is identifies as a healthcare practitioner of some kind. A lot of doctors. I get emails frequently from doctors. I have a lot of doctors as patients, so I have a lot of these conversations with them as well. And uh, what I've found is exactly what, what you have. Um, there's a growing awareness within the medical community as well that and probably even more so than the general public, that the, the current model is broken. And they know better than anyone else that just prescribing somebody a drug and seeing them in a few weeks without making any other changes is not really good medicine. But as you said before, there are certain um, standard of, of practice. Uh, so if a patient has this level of cholesterol, the standard of practice is to prescribe a statin in that situation. And... Uh, you know, in some cases, doctors can be liable if they don't, which could be anything from censure to potentially losing their medical license. And so uh, it's a big problem. And I think doctors are as much victims of the system as patients are, because if you work in a managed care environment that, you know, dictates how much time you spend with patients and is mostly concerned with efficiency and, and patient volume that, instead of actual patient care, even if you decide, hey, I don't want to practice this way. I want to do functional medicine. You know, I want to start using nutrition and all that. It's really difficult to do it in that managed care environment. And you would basically have to uh, leave that environment and start your own practice, which comes with its own set of challenges. And, you know, um, you basically become an entrepreneur at that point, in addition to being a physician. And not everybody is interested in that or even really cut out for that. So, um I don't know what the solution is to that particular part of the problem um, in terms of giving people the knowledge that they need to practice differently. That's something that I'm very interested in. And in the next few years, I'm going to be doing a lot more training of other clinicians because it's clear to me that that's how that's what's needed the most. And that's how I can have the biggest impact. Um, I regularly get emails, probably two or three a day from people saying, where can I find a practitioner that, you know, approaches things in this similar way? And unfortunately, there, there just aren't that many that I can uh, recommend. I mean, there are definitely people out there, but there aren't enough to serve the, the demand. So what's, um, how deep into that are you right now? Pretty deep. I think we're going to launch the first module this year. Um, so it's, it's a combination of functional medicine and ancestral perspective. And we're going to start with... Um, this concept called the exposome, which is a new word, um, geeky science word, but it, I really like what it conveys. It, it basically describes the sum total of all environmental exposures that we have through a lifetime, starting before we're even born. Um, so like in what we experience in utero, our mother's diet in utero, and even at the time of conception, our father's diet at the time of conception, which we know now affects our own health. It's crazy to think about and important to think about if you're planning to have kids. Um, the birth process, uh, whether we're breastfed or, you know, whether we're born vaginally or by a C-section, whether we're breastfed or given formula, and then all of the other, you know, diet, lifestyle things that we experience. And uh, really, when, when it comes down to it, that the exposome, all of those experiences are the primary determinant of our health. And that's, so that's the first place that this training program is going to start. And then we'll evolve, you know, we'll go out from there to do more of the functional medicine stuff. But, 
it's it's what I'm really focused on right now. Okay, so if the exposome is the primary determinant of our health, that's not fatalistic though. We can we the can exposome is all modulate is all modifiable. Not necessarily by us. So like when you're in utero, obviously you're not able to modify that, but your parents can modify that, right? Um, but everything else in the exposome is modifiable. Those are all modifiable risk factors. So that's extremely good news because it means that we're in primary control of our health. Um, where genetics play a role is how the exposome interacts with our genes and our gene expression. And the exposome is what drives the expression of the genetic code that we come in with. So we have like this basic genetic template that we're born with and already in utero that those genes start expressing in different ways based on how they're interacting with the exposome. So that determines why, you know, you take two people who have um, the identical lifestyle and diet, if there is such a you know thing that's actually identical, they're not going to have the same health because that 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 whatever they're doing is going to interact in a different way with their genes. So that's why some people get rheumatoid arthritis while other people get Hashimoto's hypothyroidism and still other people, you know, uh, I'm sure we've all met someone who who um, has a, a problem with weight, but they're basically doing the same thing as as maybe we are if we don't have a problem with weight. So this is kind of what determines how disease manifests differently in different people. But, um, and that's where the genes and gene expression are important, but it's really the exposome that drive that, that runs the show. Mm, that's fascinating. And, I, and now I know a new word. Which yeah, is awesome. new word a day. That's very cool. So I want to switch gears a little bit just as we come close to wrapping this up. Um, and so, and I remember it's it interesting because, um, we first met probably a couple of years ago, but then kind of see each other once a year mm-hmm. at a conference we both go to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember we had a brief conversation last time we were there about the fact that we're both introverts, mm. but we both maintain growing public profiles. Right. And it helps us do what we're here to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, you know, on the one hand, it feels like a necessary evil. Right. When, like all you need on a personal level is like you just want to geek out and solve cool problems, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But part of the equation of doing that is sort of, you know, it's accepting the fact that you know you need to actually build this fairly substantial platform mm-hmm. to um, get the word out. Um, how do you dance with that, just on a personal level? Yeah, that's a great question. And dance is a good word because it's it's never static; it's always changing. Um, I, uh, one way is like, uh, when I go to those conferences, uh, you know, when I speak and stuff and I'm, I'm, I'm very much there at the conference when I'm there, but as soon as I, you know, I, I don't go out at night afterwards, I go right back to my room or wherever I'm staying. And I, I just have a quiet evening by myself and that really helps me to recharge my batteries. Um, and in fact, I, it was only when I heard the, the description of what an introvert really is, is someone that, you know, when they, their batteries get recharged when they're alone. That's when I really understood that I was an introvert because I enjoy being on stage. I enjoy speaking. I enjoy um, doing those things, but I have to balance that with time by myself. And so that's basically how I've done it um, so far. If, you know, I, 
if I have a period of time where I'm really out there and, and speaking a lot and doing that stuff, I really have to balance it with a period of time where I am just doing my own thing in my own environment. Um, I would also say that, you know, I, I, I published a book and I did a book tour and I did, you know, a media tour and all that stuff. Um, I, I learned from that experience that I probably don't want to do that too too much. Um, you know, there's different paths we can take to have an impact. And for me, uh, I'm seeing that I can probably have the biggest impact writing my blog and, and training other clinicians. And, and, you know, I may publish more books, but um, both because of my own tendencies and, and, and just through an exploration of where I think I can really affect the biggest change, I don't know that having you know, being always out in the, in the public is the best option for me. Yeah, which is interesting, too, because you also recently just announced some shifts in the, your policies for accepting private clients. Yeah. Which seems to maybe honor both just your social orientation and also a shift in focus for you. Yeah. So I recently, I've been a solo practitioner for the first several years of my practice and uh, became, you know, my, my practice has been close to new patients for most of the last three years just because there's only so much that one, you know, demand that one person can handle. And, and I do other things, you know, I only see patients two days a week. I, I write, research, etc. So I, I joined forces with another uh, functional medicine practitioner, an MD named uh, Sanja Schwag, who's a, a great friend of mine, an incredible practitioner. And then we started hiring other clinicians. We hired our first already, um, and then we're preparing to hire a second one. Just sent the email out about that today. Um, and, and I'm now requiring um, patients to, to live in California and to see me in person. I, I'm just... Uh, as you kind of intimated, I'm, I'm trying to pull things back into a more um, local and personal sphere. And, uh, and, and that will also make it easier for me to train other people um, because I'll have a, an, an observation clinic where, where the people I'm training are there with me and, and, and observing and watching. And uh, so in the next few years, I hope to train three or four more clinicians just in that kind of more direct method and then launch this uh, more formal clinician training program as well. Yeah, which I think is also a really powerful lesson for people who are at a point where they're looking how to build their professions, their practice, their vocation in the world in a way that both um, goes out and serves at an effective level, makes a difference, has an impact, but simultaneously serves them mm -hmm. in the way that they need to, you know, like in... in fully expressing their interest, their curiosity, you know, like it, that gives them meaning and respects just the fundamental nature of who they are so that it's sustainable. I think one of the big challenges is that we tend to be drawn towards building a, you know, vocation or career practice in the way that's prescribed. This is how it's yeah. done yeah. rather than this is how I need to do it for me. That's such a good point. And, um, I think there was a, a point, you know, maybe six months to a year ago where it felt like, things could move in a direction that um, w was not really what I wanted to create in the first place and that might not serve me best as far as that goes. And like, I really thrive on this kind of face-to-face -face interaction that we're having now. Uh, I wouldn't enjoy just, for example, working only on the phone uh, with patients, which is one possibility. Um, and what I realized too, I, I already kind of touched on this was, 
at least for now, I still really need to be in the trenches, like interacting with real patients and, and experiencing that joy and fulfillment that comes from seeing a life transformed um, and from being the help that I always wanted to find, you know, in my 10-year journey back to health and training other people to do that. And um, just researching and writing a blog or, you know, selling products or whatever um, could potentially be, a, um, you know, more lucrative way to go or something like that. But I don't think it would satisfy me um, on the deeper level. And that's uh, more important than anything. Yeah, totally great. So we're hanging out here and we're, we're having this conversation in your, your home office, you know, like I'm, I'm looking out the window, this glorious sweep of greenery. And as I entered your home this morning, you know, there's just beautiful breeze and just energy in the air. Um, which brings me to this question that I always ask everybody as we wrap up, which is, um, to you, and I offered the term to live a good life. What, what does that mean to you? I would say it means serving my highest purpose um, while taking care of myself and and um, experiencing joy and fulfillment and deep connections with other people. Yeah. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. So I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Chris. I know um, it's given me so much to think about, both in terms of uh, how I explore um, optimizing and approaching my own health, but and at the same time, how I explore building my own business. I mean, I found it really incredible that at one point he shared how he actually, his practice has been relatively closed to new patients, almost entirely closed to new patients for the better part of three years because he understands that um, there's only one of him. and. While he loves working with patients, he also loves doing the research and loves writing and also needs to really take great care of himself and his family. And I think those are all great lessons for us to kind of take away from, from this conversation. So I hope, as always, you've enjoyed the show. If you have, it would be so grateful if you'd head over to iTunes. Just give us a quick thumbs up or a review if you've enjoyed it. And um, feel free to share it, subscribe if that feels good. And always stop by and check out what's going on at goodlifeproject.com as well. Thanks so much. We'll see you in the next episode.